0: Welcome back to Breakthrough Conversations, my name is Brett English and today we're going deep with Roger Weston who's a Reiki master who's been practicing and teaching Reiki for more than 50 years. He's 80 years of age now, he just got back from Nepal after climbing the Nepalese mountains, he was a devotee of Sai Baba for many years over in India, and has a lot of profound experience and spiritual wisdom to share with us today. I'm joined by Reiki master Roger Weston and thank you very much for letting me do this and have a chat with you.
1: Well, let's go, it's an interesting experience.
0: Yeah. One of the things I found really um, profound about, about you and your teachings and also um, how you got into Reiki, but how your lifestyle is now at 80 years old, you know, mm-hmm. traveling, climbing mountains, things of that nature. I know um, people in my family, once they hit 70,
1: it's sort of a bit game over. <laughs> so um, what are some of the secrets you have? So probably for me, there are four fundamentals to life. Mm-hmm. Our physical, our emotional, our mental and our spiritual. And so those aspects, for instance, the physical, the food we eat, the water we drink, how much sleep we get, how much exercise, that is one of the things that are about our physical world. Mm. They're really important. Um, And it's also really clear that in our modern world, a lot of the things that we do aren't really good for us. They're detrimental. Um, The second aspect for me, probably, is my emotional life. I believe that as a human being we need to have access to all of the emotions that we have Mm. and that it's important to be able to appropriately exercise those emotions as opposed to shut down or repress them. Mm. Mentally, I think the world is a really ongoing, changing place. And in a way, the same as we have to constantly update our computers to keep them functioning, in a way, as a being, we need to be constantly updating what we're doing so we're functioning as effectively as possible. And finally, spiritually. Um, I think we live in a world where we believe that we can buy or source everything that we need. But actually, it doesn't really matter how many TVs or holiday houses, etc. etc. you've got. There's an empty space inside here that I think nothing can fulfill. So, what I observe in life is that many people might pay attention to their physical, or their emotional, or their mental, or their spiritual. But actually, what we need to be doing is paying attention to all of that. If you had a four-cylinder car and you were running it on two cylinders, clearly you wouldn't get very good performance. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what is important is that each day of my life, I try to pay attention to those aspects of my life so that what I'm doing is living a life that is holistic. I doubt that it's possible to live a 100% perfect life and really I don't know that I'm that driven to want that Mm. but I see that just fundamentally if I'm living a life that supports me holistically that empowers me as a being well then probably I've got the best opportunity to continue to live my life as well as possible. Mm.
0: One other thing you said was um, some of the things in the modern day life are toxic and extremely bad for us. Are there a few things you've seen that you would recommend people to avoid or what are those toxic things that stand out to you that we do on a day-to-day basis which is
1: killing us? So I think a lot of the foods that we eat these days aren't good for us. Mm. And in fact, often they're not, they're really bad for us. And so typically as much as possible and with my wife's encouragement, I would eat mostly organic fruit and vegetables okay. because I mm. believe that they're, especially if they're locally grown, yeah. because then they're full of the nutrients and minerals and vitamins that they were really intended. Mm. So I think a lot of the foods that we eat that are highly processed, although they're delicious, they're also full of sugar, yeah. full of salt, full of other preservatives. and so. You know, if you were putting junk fuel into your car, once again, you probably wouldn't really be surprised that it doesn't perform very well. Mm. And so I do think that um, although organic or biodynamic foods are more expensive, I actually think that they're better, you get better value out of them, and so I would never drink the the popular brands of soda oh, um, yeah. drinks, mm. and I never go to fast food places and eat fast food. Mm. So what I recognize is the foods that I eat are the things that sustain me. And so if I'm eating wholesome food that nourishes my body, and then my body's able to perform better. Mm, beautiful.
0: Makes perfect sense.
1: I know. <laughs>
0: yeah, and um, how did how did you get into Reiki? How did I get this, into it?
1: Yeah. So I think, in a way, I was thinking about this recently, and I was I was thinking along the lines of, at the end of one's life, people often talk about how their life flashes before them, mm-hmm. and I think I had this idea that mm, perhaps it flashes before me, but. Maybe it's like all of these pieces of my life come together as like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. And so it's all there, and then I'll be able to say, ah, now I understand my life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that in a way I've had any clear intention with my life. It's been an ongoing journey. Sometimes there have been a few crises and catastrophes along the way. Mm-hmm. but. In a way, I feel like I've always been blessed and that um, I've been able to recognize that there are times in my life when something is changing and I might be happy or unhappy about that change. But what I've learned is that if I look, there's often a gift that's waiting for me. And so there's a transition that occurs into that next stage. Mm. And so, like so many people of the 70s and 80s, I was into yoga and meditation, and in 1991, um, I heard about this practice called Reiki, and I thought it would be an interesting extension to the energy work I was already doing. And so I did level one, Mm. and I liked it. And as a consequence of that, I got to um, negotiate with an Eastern States teacher to come over and teach a whole number of courses, because in those days, there weren't a lot of Reiki teachers. Mm -hmm. And he came over, and as a part of that, I did level two. So that door just opened. And as a part of that, I met some people who were doing their teacher training who introduced me to their teacher who offered to train me as a teacher. And so that door opened. So, I didn't have any great master plan that I'm aware of, Mm. that I would live this sort of life. It was a life that unfolded. And having been involved now with Reiki for over 30 years, I'm really delighted in the gifts that it's given me. Um, In the Reiki course, we talk about many blessings, living a life of many blessings. And I think that when we open out to that, um, our life really can be blessed. Mm. There's still, I don't, you know, it's a bit, I don't know really how this will all end in in many ways, I don't know how this will end, but it's a journey that continues, and I'm really um, settled, contented into that journey.
0: Beautiful. Now can I ask you what were some of the um the biggest obstacle you had to face within yourself, whether emotionally or mentally or whatever's coming up, to be who you are today and teach the way you've been teaching, and sort of, you yeah, know, that transition into,
1: into so teaching. So, um, I'm definitely very much still a 1940 model human being. Yeah. And so, what's really clear for me, and it becomes clear, I think, to many of us, that we were conditioned during the time, the early time of our life. Mm. And so there would be issues. I was born at the end of the Second World War in England, so food was a scarcity. And it was also a threatening time. Um, my father, I didn't meet him until I was four years old. He'd been in the army for all of that time. And so there are things within my personal construction that were embedded in me at that time which were the best adjustment that I could make to those circumstances but in the same way as if you've got a computer program or software that's out of date you can keep running it but actually it doesn't work for you Mm -hmm. and so there have been a number of issues around um food and probably being a loving and compassionate being, which have really challenged me in my later life as I've become aware of the need to, to uh, review those. In that sense, my wife has been really useful as a naturopath. She's really helped me to eat really good food. Um, and she's also, as a Scorpio, encouraged me to express my feelings. And so yeah, yeah. you know, this is just an ongoing journey, really.
0: Mm. Behind every great man is a, a great woman. <laughs> a great woman I well,
1: possibly, yeah. yeah. Let me say that. Yeah, For the record, yes, definitely. Yeah. Let me say that.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Um, what exactly is Reiki? And how would you summarize it? Someone who knows nothing about it or who has preconceived notions that aren't really true, like myself before learning?
1: <laughs> I think it's a bit of a challenge um, mm-hmm. to, to describe Reiki. Certainly... If somebody's already been doing some energy work, like pranayama in yoga or breath work or so on, they would be familiar with the idea that um, unlike when I went to high school and in science we were taught that uh, outside of earth is a vacuum, there's nothing, we've come to realize that actually there's a consciousness that exists around us. And so, I think that uh, as we become more involved in that consciousness, we're able to live a life that's much more coherent. And I've actually lost the question that you asked All me. All right, the, one or two. The, th- the explanation. Simplify. Yeah. What is what is, what is right? Yeah. So for me, it's an energy package, mm-hmm. and it's an energy package that I can access. So in the same way as the batteries, and this might run down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they won't work very well. They need to be recharged. So for me, Reiki enables me to to consciously tap into an inexhaustible supply of energy, Mm -hmm. which I can simply apply to myself to empower myself. And as a practice, I can also use that to provide treatments to other people. So Rei Ki means the life force of the universe, and perhaps at a deeper level, it's the conscious level of the universe. So my intention is to connect into that energy and to then be a simple conduit for that. Beautiful. And you think people have
0: lost have lost the ability to heal themselves or to live a balanced life where their body is just repairing regardlessly? And What do you think causes that separation or that inability to tune in and just heal yourself from any other malady?
1: So I I would agree, I think, with what you're saying there, that if we were totally natural human beings, Mm. we would be self-healing. And we'd be in tune with ourselves to the extent that if there was some aspect of our life that was out of balance, we would recognise it. Mm. The trouble with the modern world is it's full of so many things. Um, there's hardly any time, unless you make it, there's hardly any time to pay attention to what's happening in your life mm. and to listen to what's happening in, in our lives. It's just full of, and it's full of things which are saying, if you do this, if you take this, in other words, It's like all of these things are external to us but what you need to do is to engage in those and then they will be able to empower you. Whereas it's really clear to me that everything I need is actually within me and that most of the things that I do outside of myself are distractions to my life. And so do we have the ability to heal? absolutely Mm. but what we need to do is to pay attention to the disharmonies in our lives and as we become aware of those disharmonies there's the opportunity then to oh yeah i recognize i haven't been eating very well in the last few months let me pay attention to that so Definitely, we have the capacity to heal ourselves. It's just we need to be aware of what are the disharmonies and then to do what needs to be done. One of the problems of our modern world is the absolute convenience that we all expect. And so, so often in our lives, to go and get a pill or something as a quick fix to what's going on in our lives, might provide a quick fix but actually it doesn't sustain us. So for me what's fundamental in the process of healing is recognizing the difference between symptoms and causes and what most people do is they treat symptoms of their lives. They try to ameliorate the symptoms and that might ease the pain in the short term. But unless you actually treat the causes of the disharmonies in your life, then actually nothing permanently changes. And that's the really hard part of life and healing, in the sense that if there's something out of whack for me, I have to pay attention to that and I have to do something about it. I can be supported in that process. But unless I'm doing the work, if I'm expecting other people to do the work for me, it doesn't make the changes.
0: Yeah, what you said today about Reiki isn't a healing modality, it's a a way of life or a way of living. I was kind of like, oh, that does make sense. People who go and get Reiki as a service, um, are they technically doing the wrong thing? Should they be embodying it doing a daily practice? Or what's the best way to do Reiki and what is that lifestyle that we are talking about? So
1: I think one of the great things about So I think for many people, life is not clear. There's no clear understanding about how life would work. There's no clear understanding about how disharmonies manifest in the body and ultimately cause dis-ease. So one of the things I think Reiki treatments do, and learning Reiki, is it helps us to remember who we are. And so, in that act of remembering who we are, there's the opportunity to, okay, I've, yeah, now I remember, I get that. So, from that awareness, there's then the opportunity to go on and live your life in a more empowered way. Mm. If you don't know why your life isn't working, or if you blame your star signs, your karma, your God, all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Actually, that's not empowering because it actually doesn't change anything. And so it's really about becoming aware. Mm.
0: And that's what Reiki is about, becoming more aware of yourself.
1: Yeah, and so in the first instance, it just might be, wow, I've had a Reiki treatment. I didn't realize how stressed i was boy i need to pay attention or wow i've just had a reiki treatment i remembered what it was like to meditate now gee i need to get back into my meditation Mm -hmm. and so although reiki would not you know come in lie down i'm doing a treatment you are heal next it's not like that Mm -hmm. um life is a process and so as an individual What we need to do is to recognize, well, where am I in this journey? And what do I need to do to empower me to
0: continue? Mm, Beautiful. And what were some of the precepts of Reiki?
1: So, one of the things that was interesting about Yusui was that he understood to say to somebody, change your life isn't enough guidance Mm. and so he employed some precepts that were probably um, a much earlier buddhist teaching
0: and uh, sorry yusui was the founder of reiki
1: yeah so yusui was the person who discovered the practice and put it together Mm. and so what he realized was that having the energy is a good thing but living a life that is coherent, that supports good health and wellness, and also supports um, empowerment. A part of the precept is to live a life of many blessings. And I think that as we begin to understand life and how it works, and then we add energy to that, we can actually create a life that really supports us. And so the precepts were fundamentally codes of conduct which help us to create a good life. And I think it's pretty clear that if we look at modern life, there's very little moral precepts that's taught in typical daily life. Mm. It's really probably most of what we get presented to us are distractions, and the distractions about the inadequacies of our life and how somebody's got a product that will fulfill that, as opposed to recognizing, well, hold on, this is my life. If I find that, for instance, one of the precepts is do not anger, if I find that I'm in a really stressful relationship, if I find I'm in a work situation that I hate, if I find, then whatever it is that I find, I need to look at that and then to address that. And so I think Yesui was really smart in understanding it's not enough just to have the energy. What you also need to do is to have a lifestyle that you can live which will empower that.
0: Beautiful. Um, you mentioned about one of the Buddha's teachings, about the 3,000 different dimensions of realms, and the human experience. Could you go into that a little bit more? So,
1: so I don't really know a lot about that. I know that um, one of the Buddhist prayers or mantras mm. talks about, may all the beings in all the realms be happy. And I've heard mentioned that there's 3,000 different realms. Mm. And I don't really know very much about that. I think. Life is probably a lot more mysterious than mm. I can imagine. And to a large extent, what I really want to be focused on is this is my life here now. Mm. You know, I've often met people who have been deeply into past life regression or working out karmic stuff. Mm. And I can see that there's a place for that. But it isn't really where I want to be putting my energies into. What I want to be putting my energies is, here I am today. How do I create that calm, quiet space within me, which is my most powerful place? Mm. Then how do I hold that as I step out into the day and give my, this day my best shot? Yeah. At the end of the day, can I then come back and sort of close it down? So that tomorrow, I begin that process again. So there may be three thousand realms, and they may be filled with all kinds of beings, but fundamentally, I want to be here now. Perfect.
0: And the Buddha said that the human life was one of the toughest lives out of the realms that they've they've heard of. And did um, they mention why that why that was? what about the human condition was so difficult compared to? in other realms?
1: Well, I think that what I've heard described is that the human uh, incarnation is so difficult because we've got a body which is just absolutely um, open to experience and sensation and so on. Mm -hmm. And so we are constantly wanting to fulfill some sensations or other. Um, And often, if I look at our modern world and the, say, the uh, social media. What I see is that we just become so immersed in inane distraction that we totally lose the reason for why we're here. Mm. We're spirit in human form. And so the challenge for us, I mean, how do you describe to someone the joy, the agony, the ecstasy of love? I mean it's such an integral part of our lives that it can be so fulfilling but it can also be so destructive. And at some point we need to find our own place in that so that um, we're not constantly being distracted. It's hard to sit and meditate, Mm -hmm. to be mindful if you're really lusting after the girl who lives next door or down the street. Yeah, right and so there comes this this um, observation that the human condition offers an enormous amount of distraction, and that's great, but also we need to learn to manage that, mm. otherwise all we do is pursue distraction after distraction after distraction.
0: That sums it up pretty accurately. (laughs) Um, Why is it so important to keep the traditions of Reiki as they were and not start to bend and manipulate them or make them our own and then teach that?
1: So I've got a dog and when I take my dog for a walk, one of the first things he wants to do is to pee on every post that every other dog has peed on. In other words, he's marking his territory. Yeah. And I think in a way, Human beings are a bit like that, especially in our modern world, where we want to customize. We want to, this is my practice. And so, I don't know whether you've ever stood at a coffee bar and you've listened to somebody ordering their coffee, and they've got about 15 different specifications for their coffee. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we live in this crazy, crazy world. For me, it's easy. I have a black coffee, please. So. Um, what I think is interesting about the traditions is that they're based on past experience. Mm. I don't need to learn to reinvent everything. Reiki has just celebrated over a 100 years of practice. So within that, there's not only all of the experience of the teacher, but there's also all of the experiences of the subsequent teachers and the subsequent students. And so this information ends up building into being a tradition. Now, perhaps like any tradition, there are times when it needs to be tweaked. But because we live in such an egocentric world, so obsessed with me, me and me, it's really easy in a practice as simple as Reiki want to change it to make it more exciting more fulfilling more 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 of everything yeah and in fact to do that takes you away from the essential essence of the practice Mm -hmm. so for me respecting the traditions is a fundamental part of it one of the primary teachers of reiki in recent times philosopher Motum used to say that um, accepting the practice of Reiki was a part of the spiritual discipline. So if you wanted to be a practitioner, recognizing that it required you to do this stuff, irrespective of what your ego was driving you to do, that to accept that is actually a part of the spiritual practice of Reiki. And so for me, tradition plays a Informative role.
0: Beautiful. And can Reiki actually be used with intention to to sort of work with a certain chakra, or work with a certain element, or is it best to just
1: let it do its own thing? So I I think one of the fundamental principles of how life works is it's a combination of intention and energy. So I think a lot of what we do in Reiki looks like we're doing something. But actually what we're doing is a statement of intention attached to the energy. For instance, Mm. somebody wants a Reiki treatment. Please come in, lie down, take off your shoes. Okay, I'm going to do these hand positions. I'm offering you a Reiki treatment. So in a way, what I'm doing is putting a form around my intention. Mm. And that's a form for my benefit, and it's also a form for the benefit of the person who's on the table. So fundamentally, although I might work with intention, that is, somebody may come in and say, ah, oh, my marriage has just ended, I'm feeling really shattered. And I'll think, oh, okay, so why don't I do what I might call a mental treatment? which focuses in on the emotional and mental issues around this, Um, but I'm also aware that I'm working with the life force of the universe, and that life force is infinitely aware. It's infinitely aware of everything that's caught up in this situation. Mm -hmm. Whereas I might have just some glimmer of an idea, the energy knows what to do and so to a large extent if I say to somebody oh well let's do an emotional mental treatment because that will focus in to some extent what I'm wanting to do is to engage the client in that process oh we're doing an emotional mental treatment yeah I get that because I've just my marriage has just ended etc etc so in a way what that does is engages them in the healing process. And then I work with the energy and allow the energy to work as it needs to. Beautiful. One of the questions you might have asked me is whether there have been any particular instances of um, Reiki that demonstrate its consciousness. Mm -hmm. And there are probably two that I could briefly describe. So perhaps in the 30 years that I've worked with giving treatments, there have been maybe 15 or so quite significant experiences. One of them revolved around a woman called Cecile. Okay. So I met Cecile when she was 84, and she was feeling a bit sad and depressed in her life. She drove what would be prized these days, an old combi, but apparently she drove it really badly. But anyway, Cecile was feeling a bit depressed in her life. And my wife suggested to her that having some Reiki treatments might be beneficial. So once a month, I was going over to Cecile's house, setting up the table and doing Reiki treatment. As I packed up after the third treatment, I was about to go and Cecile said to me, hold on, before you go, I need to talk to you. I said, oh, why is that? She said, well, in the last two months since we've started doing these Reiki treatments, I've just been crying non-stop. Now, I'm obviously a little surprised by that, and she obviously recognized my expression. And she said, no, no, it's okay. She said, I've realized what's been going on. She said, 40 years earlier, her husband was dying. And her husband had a brother who really had significant emotional issues and conditions. And husband made Cecile promise that when he died, she would look after the brother. So, she promises, hubby dies, there's brother, needing to be looked after and supported, and also he fancies Cecile, so it's a drama. A drama that went on for 36 years, until brother finally died. Cecile said to me, do you know what I've been doing in these last couple of months? releasing my grief wow she said do you see that painting on the wall that's a painting of my husband when he died i couldn't stand it i put it in the back room it was there for 40 years but a couple of days ago i felt like i could actually bring it out and put it back up on the wall now for me this is probably a very clear indication I knew nothing about Cecile except she was a bit depressed and she was a really terrible combi van driver. I'm giving her a Reiki treatment, the energy's going inside Cecile, it's looking around and saying, whoa, there's 40 years of unexpressed grief in here, we need to dump this. Mm-hmm. And for two months she cried it out. and it then got to a point where that process was complete. And so there wasn't the anguish, the pain. And she was able to go get the painting and put it up on the wall and not be devastated by remembering that it had been healed. And so for me, this was just a really profound experience about Reiki knowing what to do and doing what needed to be done.
0: Wow, it's a really cool story, actually.
1: Um, It was a great experience. Yeah, I mean, to see the transformation that occurred, it was just a great experience. Mm.
0: Have any other stories come to mind of the innate knowledge of race?
1: Well, there is another one that um, was also really quite um, astounding to me at the time, Uh, a woman called Pippa, rang, and Pippa said, Roger, I'd like to learn Reiki, and my boyfriend Paul would like to learn Reiki, and my girlfriend, I can't remember her name, let me call it Mary, Mary wanted to learn Reiki. But the three of them wanted to learn together, but because they lived on a horse property, they could never all leave the property at the same time to come to a class. So Pippa said, Roger, you know, would you come and teach a class at our house? I said, sure. So I set up to teach a three Evening class. On the third evening, as a part of the training, Pippa is on the table, Paul, Mary, and I start giving her a treatment. So we're a couple of minutes into the treatment, and Pippa's body begins violently shaking. Wow. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Wow, what's going on here? Mm. So I said to Pippa, Pippa, you know, your body's shaking. Are you okay? She said, Yes. So then I thought, hold on, how do I feel about this? And I thought, well, I've never heard, read, or seen anything like this, but let me see what happens. So we continued the treatment. She's really shaking. And about five minutes into the shaking episode, her abdomen begins to slowly lift. Now, at this stage, my eyes are a bit like um, crab's eyes. They're out on stalks watching what's going on. So, over a couple of minutes, it looked like something in her abdomen turned over and her abdomen went back down. She's still shaking and she continued to shake for about another five minutes. Then she went completely still. Now I thought, whatever that was, it looks like it's finished. Perfect time for a strong black coffee. I don't (laughs) drink alcohol, but I'm definitely into black coffee. So I said to Pippa, come on, let's have a break. So during the break, I said to Pippa, Pippa, I don't normally ask, but this was a bit unusual. What do you think this was about? So Pippa said, "Well, when I asked you to come and teach Reiki, I didn't tell you my story. She had been diagnosed with cervical cancer four months earlier. Her doctor had recommended a radical hysterectomy She didn't want to do that because she and Paul wanted to have children. Doctors said, look I'm really sorry but that's my best recommendation. So she began to explore some complementary practices. She had a Reiki treatment. She felt touched by the experience. The practitioner suggested to her that if she learned Reiki then she would be able to work with the energy in an ongoing process. So that was the reason she called me. So I thought, okay, well that's interesting. So I went home, the next day I rang, she was fine. I rang a month after the course, she was fine. I rang her three months after the course, she'd just gotten a negative test. She had no signs of cervical cancer. I rang her 15 months after the course, she was seven months pregnant. Now she has a daughter. Wow. So one of the things that just absolutely delights me is I didn't know anything about her condition, and I didn't really need to know anything. All I needed to know is, Pippa, when you're on the table, are you comfortable? Now let's work with the energy, and let the innate intelligence, the innate knowing of the energy look inside you, see what needs to be worked on, and work on that. How does one increase their ability?
0: Um, either to heal themselves or to heal others with Reiki? Or is that, even, is that actually possible to increase your potency or amount of output through this practice?
1: So, I think it's one of the big ego traps of any form of healing that we want to imagine that we become more powerful. I mean, in one way I get it, because if you're wanting to make a contribution to people's life, If you can do that to the greatest of your ability, then why not? Mm. But in my understanding of it, um, when you are initiated into the practice in level one, you're connected to the life force of the universe. You've got it all. Mm. There's no more energy in the system. You've got all of it. Certainly in level two, You learn how to work with it in different ways, and the Reiki teacher learns how to do work with it in different ways. But when you're connected to the energy, you have all of the energy. So really, when in my observation, when somebody perhaps learns Reiki and then three years later comes to me and says, oh Roger, Roger, I feel like I'm just so much more empowered. It just feels so much more. It isn't that the energy has increased it's that their sensitivity to the energy has increased. So they're having the same experience, but they're having it at a deeper level. Mm. And so for me, the most profound practice, really, is just listening to the energy. Mm. In the Western form of Reiki, to some extent, it was quite formulaic put your hands here, put your hands here, put your hands here, and the energy will work as it needs to. In the Japanese form of the practice, the practitioner pays a lot more attention to the experience in their hands. What they're feeling is information. It informs the treatment. So in that way, I think it's possible to work in a more empowered way, but fundamentally when you're connected to the energy, you have all of it. You just have to use it. Yeah. And so, in terms of self healing or working with others, the story is exactly the same. I work with the energy, the energy works with me.
0: Beautiful. You mentioned as well um, prior to 1945, Reiki was mainstream in, in medicine practice. And afterwards, they, they canned it. Um, what were the reasonings behind that, and how, was it, how did that happen so abruptly?
1: So I think in Japan, prior to the Second World War, as with so many cultures, there were natural therapies. Mm. And um, Reiki, which began to be taught really in 1926, was a practice that um, really appealed to the Japanese. I think they were quite sensitive to energy practices, mm. and so it quickly spread. And Yasui, who was the founder of the practice, taught teachers and practitioners. And they taught teachers and practitioners. And so within a reasonably short period of time, there were a lot of people who were engaged in Reiki practice, either providing treatments and or teaching. And so at the end of the Second World War, when the Americans really um, provided uh, everything, when they took over in Japan, to re-establish order, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that they brought with them was the all-American Western medicine and pharmaceutical products. Mm -hmm. And they weren't really, I mean, it wasn't a part of the um, white American tradition to engage in natural practices. The American Indian Mm -hmm. would have had natural healing practices, but not the whites. And at that time, People like Rockefeller were promoting Western medicine. He was funding hospitals and training. And so Western medicine and the pharmaceuticals that followed that were really the principal form of health care. And so in Japan, at the end of the Second World War, complementary practices were actively discouraged. And Reiki was one of those practices where instead of it being a public practice, where you could provide treatments to people, where you could work in public, had to become a private practice. Mm. And so, in a way, we see that that's what happened in many parts of the world, where practices which might have related to the indigenous culture, which came out of their traditions, out of their experience, were repressed. and replaced by pharmaceutical medicine. I'm not against pharmaceutical medicine or Western medicine, but I really think that there are also times when we can work complementary practices, can also support people. Mm -hmm. I've worked as a volunteer at a cancer wellness centre for over 20 years, and I would certainly never have discouraged anybody from having their chemo or radiation or whatever. But what I do recognize is that there were complementary practices, acupuncture, meditation, Reiki, yoga, that actually supported the person while they were going through those other practices. Mm. So I would hope that there would come a time when we would be able to work in a more holistic way, where we look at the whole person and, OK, we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this, and this create this holistic package mm.
0: Can I throw a curveball question at you? Probably. Because uh, you, you, you've been around for a while You you would have seen a lot of stuff in your time. Why do you think the reason is um, us human beings are constantly at war, always getting sick, mental health crisis, and bringing each other down, that it seems, and so much hatred? Where does that stem from, and what can we
1: really do about it? So I think there comes a point in our life where we can make a conscious choice do we continue to live a life based in fear or we, do we generate a life that lives in love and trust? Mm-hmm. It's a fundamental life question. Our world is a fear based world, it's based mm-hmm. in fear. Why? Because then you can control, you can manipulate, you can sell people products, you can threaten them that the clothes they're wearing are old fashioned, they need to update. It's like Everything in our modern society, so much about everything, so much in our modern society is about creating fear inadequacy. And when we get that, when we understand that, and then when we understand, well, hold on, to live in fear is one possibility, but what if I chose to live in love and trust? The world is the same but how you live in that world is different. Mm. Now, I'm not so starry-eyed. I mean, I think there's a great um, Muslim teaching, trust in God, but tie up your camel at night. In other words, yeah, trust that God will look after you, but also be sensible, be practical within that. Mm. So, we live in a world based in fear, and fear is really useful in the short term, but as a long-term, it's really detrimental to our health and well-being Mm -hmm. and it's also really restrictive. We are afraid. Instead of being open and expansive and interested in life, Mm -hmm. we lead this very contained life. Probably, in my understanding, the greatest consequence of COVID-19, whatever that all was. The greatest consequence is going to be the emotional fear, the trauma that's being predicated on people and on children, young people. Mm. The, the, you know, I think there were the two viruses, one, COVID-19, and fear. Mm. And fear, I'm afraid, will be the longest lasting consequence. Mm. And it immobilizes us. It takes away control and empowerment. And I don't want to live a life that's dominated by fear. I want to live a life that's open, expanding in 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 many areas. Yeah. What are some of your daily
0: practices that you do every single day, and that are just essential for, for a human being to function in
1: society? Well, I think, so certainly, Um, typically I would wake up in the morning and I will meditate and I'll do some second-degree Reiki to sending practices and I will also do any creative visualizations or manifestation project processes that I'm involved so I've got this little package typically in the morning which will take anything between a half an hour and an hour okay then I'll get up go for a walk take the dog have a swim come home have a bowl of porridge have my first coffee for the day so really what i'm wanting to do is to create that early that really great start to my day and meditation is a fundamental part to that one of the things that's really clear is that people have an attention span of probably i don't know it used to be seconds it's probably milliseconds these days and so in a way then when some issue arises And you need to bring the power of your mind to that. If your mind is not disciplined, you're quickly distracted. Mm -hmm. And so you might have the intention, oh yes, I'm going to do this, I'm really going to do this. But then after a couple of minutes, you're distracted and you don't do it. So for me, the power of meditation is, it helps to train my mind. In India, they talk about the monkey mind. The mind that's bouncing around all over the place. And really what we want to be able to do is to bring our mind into sharp focus. I think I mentioned earlier, intention plus energy is one of my fundamental observations about how how life works. So, if I can't maintain my intention, the energy is wasted. Whereas if I have a clear envisaging of my intention, and I can hold that because my mind is not distracted by other things that are going on around me, then it's possible for me to empower that to the greatest extent possible.
0: Beautiful. What do you think is really happening when people are sitting down and manifesting and uh, whether you're making a scrapbook or you're visualising visualizing whatever, is it that that we're creating that reality or we're bringing it towards us or what's, what's really happening there in that process?
1: So one of the people, things that people used to talk about in the 70s and 80s was the co-creation, mm. that you are the co-creator of your reality. So on the one hand, I think all of these sorts of aids which help us to focus our intention are useful. The trick is to be able to create simple forms of that. You know, I've just been in Nepal trekking. So if I had my um, vision board, I'm not really going to be carrying that around with me trekking in Nepal. And so <clears throat> I need to take that concept, okay, this is what I'm envisaging. I need to be able to take that in a really lightweight, portable form. And so To some extent, to have these external representations is useful in the beginning, but at some point we need to begin to understand what we're doing and be able to internalize that. Mm. And then, to a large extent, I don't need the vision board. I'm clear about what my intention is.
0: Mm.
1: Perhaps, you know, I don't know whether you ever had a of your first bike, but whether it had those little trainer wheels on the side. Well, that was really useful in the beginning because it stopped you from falling off your bike. Mm -hmm. But at some point, you want to get rid of those trainer wheels Mm -hmm. because that part of it's finished. And so the trainer wheels were useful. They served a purpose. But then there came a point where you actually had to put them aside. Mm -hmm. So all of the practices that we might use which help us, if we continue with them, at some point they become limitations. Mm. If I still wanted to have the trainer wheels on my bike, how am I going to be able to do the crazy things that kids do on bikes? You can't do it. Yeah. And so actually it would restrict me. So the wheels were useful up to a point. Some of the practices are useful up to a point. But at some point we have to recognize the essence of the practice, and be able to work with that.
0: Mm. What are the keys to be able to actualize that manifestation or that vision?
1: Energy plus intention. Mm.
0: And is it possible? Absolutely. Mm. And what are the biggest setbacks in achieving that manifestation? If someone's doing it and not getting it, what's going on there?
1: Well, either they're not constantly putting energy into the system. Mm. You know, we wanted to create a veggie patch So first I have to have this idea, let's have a veggie patch. Why would you do that? Mm. Well, organic, that sounds great. Okay, where would you locate the veggie patch? Well, this is a place that gets the sun, it's close to water, so that'll be good. How would you do that? Well, we're going to need to build a structure, we're going to need to fill it with all kinds of great nutrients and so on, and at some point when that's all ready, Water it all in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Go to Bunnings as you do. Get some plants, put them in, water them, nurture them, keep away the bugs. So it's a process. Now, at that point, at some point, you're looking at your veggie patch and you're saying, "Wow, look at that! That's a broccoli. Wow, we grew that. That's fantastic." Mm. So that's the end point of the process. If I or my wife had said, "Let's have a veggie patch," And I said, yeah, great idea. But did nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. So what I what I think is that people don't maintain the practice. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, how many times would you have heard people say, Oh, I learned meditation, but it didn't work? So when I drill down into that, I might say to the great, where did you learn? Oh, I watched the YouTube clip. No. Or how often do you practice? Oh, I did it for two weeks and it didn't work, so I've stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, unless you maintain the practice, you don't manifest what it is that you want to create. Mm-hmm. And what I see, once again, in our modern world, it's full of distractions. Yeah. And so a lot of people are like beautiful butterflies. They flutter around in their life and, oh, look at that, chakras, oh, that'll be so interesting. And they go over and they land on a chakra workshop and they do a couple of chakra things for a week. And then it's like, oh, look at that, oh, reflex, oh, whoa, and off the, oh, meditation, oh. And so, in a way, what they're doing is a lot of stuff, perhaps but they're not getting into the depth of the practice. Mm. And I think at some point in our lives, we need to work out what works for me in my life situation, Mm. what works for me. Now let me commit the rest of my life to doing that. The kingdom of heaven is within. Everything that we're looking for all the peace, or the love, or the joy, or the hum its all in here. It's always been in here. Mm. All of these other things are distractions. Now, some of those distractions are useful in the short term, but if you just keep doing stuff after stuff after stuff, it's only superficial. Mm. The story of Reiki is just an absolute classic for this. So there's this man called Mikau Yasui, born in Japan in 1865, interested in life, travels, does all kinds of things. When he gets probably into his 50s, which probably in Japan, I don't know, the average life age might have been 60 or something. Mm -hmm. So he's getting to the end of his life. And he's probably thinking, wow, I've done all this stuff but I still haven't found that inner peace, which in Japan at that time was called oneness being at one with myself, being at one with my world. So he went and lived in the monastery for three years, They're figuring that monastic life might help, and it didn't very much. So when he went back to the abbot and said, Abbot, you know, this still hasn't worked for me, what do I do next? the abbot suggested something which we we would regard as quite radical these days. He said, go to the mountain and meditate. Find what you're looking for or die. So unlike going to the yoga barn in Ubud and doing a three-day meditation retreat, this was really serious stuff. Yeah, you'll die up there. Yeah, and so he did. He went, he sat. picked up a bottle of water, he went and sat on the mountain. On his 21st day of meditation, continuous meditation, he had this overwhelming light experience, which he felt was the energy that he wanted, the connection that he wanted, the life force of the universe. Mm. And it had come out of him. So for me, this is a really clear teaching. What I'm looking for the empowerment in my life, the fulfillment in my life, it's within me. Mm-hmm. What I have to do is to create the time and space to cultivate that. Mm-hmm. Now, I know so many people say, oh, yeah, I love doing my meditation, but I've got time. I love going for a swim in the morning. I haven't got time. I, I. OK, so one of the adult skills of life is creating the life that gives you what you want. It's really easy to blame your mum, your dad, your dog, your work, your partner. It's really easy to make up all these excuses. Yeah. But ultimately, this is your life. What do you want? How do you create that? Mm. That's the that's the that's what empowered people do. That's
0: true. But I remember you saying to me earlier, like, um, what you believe, you create. Yep. And it's very difficult to change that belief system, but I guess it's the first step is putting that practice and slowly tweaking yourself until you do believe and then it starts to manifest.
1: Absolutely, and one of the things that's really clear is as soon as somebody says, oh, gee, it's so hard for me to change my practices, what are they putting their energy into? They're putting their energy into maintaining how difficult it is Mm. to change their life. You know, it's really, In a way, I don't think life's very complicated. I think Mm. life is actually really, really simple. We make it really complicated. But at some point, we recognize everything I say, everything I think, everything I do has consequences. Mm. So why not make good choices? If I'm thinking, oh, gee, this is going to be so hot. Oh, gee, I've never been able to deal with this. Oh, gee, I always fail in these things. Well, that's what I'm manifesting. That's what I'm creating. That's the storyline I'm writing. Mm-hmm. What I need to be able to do is to step back from that and say, you know, I've had a lot of trouble with this in the past. But from here on, I'm going to create what I want. Mm-hmm. That's what empowered people do. They create what they want. Others win mm. Good
0: good point. Very good point. This one, one, of, one of my battles at the moment is um, living a life on purpose and design, creating exactly what I want, and also allowing life to unfold at the same time. Um, yes, yeah, so that's a tough one for me at, at this point. but. It's almost like I got to set an intention, create it, let go of the attachments, and to see what comes into my field. If that makes sense. But
1: Absolutely, yeah. and the, and I think in the beginning that can be quite scary because it's uncertain territory. Mm. But as we see, life supports us through this. That then gives us the courage to take the next step when that's presented, mm. because I think it's fundamentally. but uh, it's fundamental to the process. You need to put out what you want, but then you also have to be open to something that you would not expect Mm -hmm. because your current conditioning typically gets you to recognize what you currently recognize. Mm -hmm. But that's only giving you what you've already got, which isn't working for you, which is why you need to change it. Mm -hmm. So when you put out, you do. You also then have to step back and, oh well that's really interesting that you should mention that i've never thought of that hmm to recognize when the universe presents you with something that you would not have previously thought about because that's the new opportunity mm-hmm. so i would encourage you to trust in the process
0: mm-hmm. beautiful i have a quick look through these questions here to make sure i get them all and this is going to be edited as well so remove these little parts out um, okay and one of the big ones is do you believe in God and have you ever had an experience that you believe of God or how would you sort of define it or however you want to answer that it's fine because it's a big question and it's loaded but what are your thoughts on God itself
1: so I think as human beings as conscious human beings we struggle to give meaning to life. Mm. And I think one of the useful models or um, activities that we can use is to create these external representations. And I think God in its many, many forms can be useful in creating a way to live, um, which helps us to find that place within us. I really believe that we were born perfect. It's just that we get lost. And we get lost in all of the stuff of life. And so what I think is useful is to have these external representations, these external practices, which help us to remember who we are. I believe there's a great Buddhist teaching which is built around the idea of there comes a time when you see the Buddha down the wall, walk walking down the road, you kill the Buddha. Now, my understanding of that is, if I were a Buddhist, I'm not. But if I were a Buddhist, and I always slavishly followed the Buddhist practices, that would be really useful to me in the beginning. But a bit like having trainer wheels on my bike at some point I need to recognize the essence of what is happening and be able to embody that in myself. I had a spiritual teacher in India who was really an incredible inspiration to me, transformative experience. And when that teacher died, I realized, hmm, I now need to find that within myself. So my teacher then be I had to internalize that, mm-hmm. and so I think um, having spiritual or religious practices can be incredibly useful. I think at some point it's also then good to be able to embody that, to live that, mm-hmm. and then to some extent the external form is not as important. So in a way. Do I believe in God? Absolutely. But I, leave, I don't believe it in, a, in some singular embodied sense, and I've got it, and those other people don't have it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You're spiritual teacher in India, but what's some of the standout teachings from him or her?
1: So probably one of his main teachings was, um, my life is my message. Mm. And so he lived, a very simple life, but it was also a life dedicated to service, to being of service to other people. And so he he would have um, rituals, ceremonies, activities which which would encourage his followers to live a good life, Um, but ultimately That's about, once again, embodying that. And clearly, that's an ongoing process for all of us. Mm -hmm. I know in one of Richard Bach's books, Illusions, chapter 18, starts off with a heading, here is a test to see if your work on the planet Earth is finished. If you're still here, it hasn't. (laughs) So we are all engaged in this process. Yeah, finding ourselves, finding our essential self. Mm.
0: And who, what is it or who is it you think that we are?
1: Mm. I think probably 30 or 40 years ago, I was a lot more certain about a lot more things in life. And I, you know, I'm just, perhaps one of the things I'm clearer about is life is an unfolding mystery. Mm. Um, and I do, I've created some beliefs which help to support me and sustain me through this journey. But to some extent, I've got no idea. Mm.
0: That resonates. Well with, um, at one point in life, you feel like you're very sure of something, and you get a little bit wiser and you're like, well, I wasn't sure at all. <laughs> uh, and I um, got you know the last question here a method that would reach to the world's population what would that message be?
1: I think to be aware that your life is what you've created. Mm. And the understanding that if you have created this life, if it's working for you, cherish it, embellish it, enjoy it. If there are aspects of your life that aren't working, understand you have the capacity to change it. Now, I know it's really easy, you know, probably some person watching a podcast will think, yeah, well, what about the people of Ukraine? Or what about this or what about that? And I understand, you know, there are great challenges in life, Mm. but we create our lives. Our life is a consequence of how we're living our life. And that's not a commendation or or a judgment. It's an opportunity because when we see that, we realize, Well, if I got myself to this position, I also have the capacity to get myself out of that position. And it isn't necessarily easy, but that's the challenge of life. As we become aware of what we need to work on, we can work on it. As we work through these things, we literally, you know, yeah, we literally lighten up. And perhaps at some point we become the spirit in human form that we really are, not the spirit in human form encumbered with all the baggage that we've accumulated.
0: Mm. That was very beautifully said. Was there any final statement you wanted to make in regards to Reiki? Important things surrounding Reiki or the practice? Or anything that I may have missed in regards to Reiki itself?
1: Probably the if there were people who were interested in having Reiki treatment I would recommend looking around for one of the associations and finding one of their referral practitioners because then you can expect to get a professional treatment Um, and if you're going to if you're interested to learn Reiki for yourself then to do the same sort of thing look around through the associations and find one of their referral teachers. Definitely, under no circumstances, do online training. Because although I understand, especially in the last couple of years, that might seem like really convenient, what's really clear is you might get some information, but you don't get the empowerment that comes from sitting in a class. So I would definitely recommend, I mean, I. I've been doing Reiki for 30 years. If I thought there was a more empowering way to work in my life, I'd be doing it. I want to live the most empowered life I can. So if I thought there were better ways to, to work, I'd be doing it. I recognize that Reiki actually gives me everything that I need. All I need to do is to work with the energy and allow the energy to work with me. Beautiful. Linda well, there. Thank well, you much. Thank you.
0: It's incredible, yeah.